Right, it's Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Thank you, Jackie. So this morning I'm continuing with... um, just this theme of seeing Jesus with new eyes, with fresh eyes. I shared it the last couple of weeks, and um, you can catch up on that online. Um, there is Spotify and Google Play and all of those. I think they were up just now. I'm going to just kill this. So you're welcome to um, find them there. And then last week I mentioned um, a couple of books. We put it on the WhatsApp group just to help you to, um, yeah, just consider, you know, just reading and being more enthralled with who Jesus was. And then um, someone phoned the office and they said, you know, where do I get some of these books? And I said, well, you know, one of the guys we mentioned was here. I don't know, I'm hoping you're not giving me this whole box. So this is your box. But, um, and then, so Timbers brought some of his books I really wanted your Bible that was on the top. I was going to use that. It doesn't even have a cover. So if you do want to read um, some of uh, Timber's series on the Gospels and on Jesus, then I asked him to bring them and to have them here. So I think you guys are doing tea and coffee, aren't you? So you can maybe just put them on the coffee table um, after the service. So yeah, that would be great. But I find myself with these themes, um, what I've been preaching on, particularly last week. You know, in, in one sense, we return to common themes over and over again. And um, obviously with certain, whether it's teachers or preachers or whatever it is, you know, you've got your favorite ones. So I'm quite aware that some of what I shared last week and this week, you know, many of you might have heard before. But as I was just looking at this theme of epiphany, 
and seeing Jesus and engaging with Jesus with fresh eyes again, I mean, some of this just, it really excites me. And um, I just come alive again, thinking and reading and studying some of it. So just the, some of the background to the Gospels, um, the history behind them, some of the recent scholarship, and most importantly, the person of Jesus, how we understand him historically, how he's revealed to us in Scripture, and how we engage with him in our lives. It has to be the center. It's just like the, it's really, it's our anchor, it's our compass, that one song that we sing. Um, and so again, if I'm, you know, rehearsing a common theme for some of you, just be enthralled with Jesus. Just fall in love with him all over again. Think about him, study him, read about him, pray to him, pray about him. And most of all, let us learn just to follow him. Yeah, to follow him in our lives. So my theme has been seeing Jesus with new eyes. And um, my subtitle this week is Mark Leads the Way. And I shared a little bit about um, that last week. So the beginning, just the first few verses of Mark's gospel, by way of introduction, Mark says the beginning, in actual fact, in the original, his first word is, is this arche, which can get translated different ways. It's like the head. But most commonly, the beginning. His first word is beginning. You know, and beginning, the beginning we translated of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mark says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Quoting from Isaiah 40 that Jackie read, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So just this word, I mean, Mark says, like, this is the beginning. I was reading one author, and he was saying, you know, um, partly he could be saying, you know, um, this gospel is the way to start. If you want to know about Jesus, if you want to discover more about him, well, you know, here's a good way to start. He could also have been saying, well, this is the first gospel, but we very much doubt that. But most likely, more probably, the way he just introduces this is he's saying, here as we talk about Jesus, we're going to start with Isaiah. It's like he didn't, he didn't start like Matthew or Luke started with like the woman and the birth and even, I mean, he does start with John in a few moments, but he literally starts off, kicks off with Isaiah. And in fact, I might um, again allude to this in weeks to come, but um, he says he quotes from Isaiah, but he, ha he quotes mainly from Isaiah, but there are also e echoes of Micah and Exodus in this quote as well. But why Isaiah? It's like I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So Isaiah says, you know, it's almost like he goes off on a tangent. And it reminds us, and it's a challenge to us, that this story about Jesus, 
that Mark tells, that Luke tells, that John tells, that Matthew tells, doesn't just happen in isolation. This is not the beginning of a new religion. This is not the start of something, although in some ways people can argue that. The life, the ministry, the message of Jesus was part of a larger story. It was part of God's story for Israel. This was about God and His people. This was about the Creator and His world. And what Mark is saying is like, as we understand Jesus, we don't understand Him in a vacuum. We know that this now is the fulfillment of what has been prophesied, what has been promised. This is the continuation of God's plan, His purpose, and His intention for His creation and us as His people. So in the early church, after um, the birth of the church at Pentecost, and when the apostles and, um, went out and uh, the church was birthed and they were preaching um, the message, this, this new message, and calling people to follow Jesus. A number of times, in actual fact, the one phrase that echoes and echoes is that in their preaching they said, when they preach about Jesus, the phrase comes up according to Scripture. And particularly when it comes to the death and resurre resurrection of Jesus. Jesus being crucified for us. They say this happened according to Scripture. All of this was not unexpected. It should not have come as a surprise. It's been written about. It's been prophesied about. It's a part of God's story, His plan for us. So one of the things you've heard me bang on about quite a lot is if you want to understand Jesus... Mark says, well, start with Isaiah. Read Isaiah. Mark doesn't start with Genesis. He could have said, like, wow, you know, this is the story about Jesus, you know. Maybe if he'd had an extra scroll, you know. Scholars talk about, you know, the length of the Gospels and was it the length of, um, you know, a scroll that they had and there's all technical things about that, you know, and why did Luke right sort of, you know, he's got volume one and two and things like that. But, but it's, it's not like Mark is saying, well, if I had more paper, I would start with Genesis. He's like going, wow, Isaiah is key to understanding Jesus. And in actual fact, so just historically, never mind Mark as our gospel, but if we look at other historical documents of the time, Isaiah was one of the books that they were reading. We know that the Jews in the period leading up to Jesus, one of the key texts was Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the key texts in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this was like the uh, John Grisham of the time. You know, it was a bestseller. People were reading it. But more importantly, they were praying it. There was the sense in which they were crying out to God. This is what you have said to us. Please come and fulfill your promises to us. So if you were to divide Isaiah into two books, and many scholars argue 
that like with Luke, there's a Isaiah 1 and 2, you know, volume 1 and 2. But interestingly, if you were to do that, volume 2 of Isaiah would start with chapter 40. And many people, I mean, some, I mean, there's commentaries that are written, you know, 1 to 39 and 40 to 66. And certainly, from a narrative, of, as you read Isaiah, there's like a change in gears. Isaiah 40 starts with this comfort, comfort my people. And if we see the second section of Isaiah 40 to 66, in actual fact, like N.T. Wright talks about the key passages of Scripture. If you, to take not just your favorite, but key, like foundational sections of Scripture, Genesis, Exodus. He's like Isaiah 40 to 66 is right up there. It's like in the top 10 kind of thing. I'm sure different people have different ones, but, but that. And it's interesting. Isn't it just fascinating? And Mark says, yeah, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus. And he starts with the second section of Isaiah. So, I think it's, it's crucial to our understanding. So we'll return to this and we'll keep turning to Isaiah. When Jesus gets up in the synagogue and turns to the scroll, when, it, when he gets up to read in the synagogue and he, he turns in the scroll, and there's again, there's this um, debate, was that the reading for the day? You know? It almost, it, it sometimes I, the way I see it is he kind of like, he adjusts the reading, you know, he goes, I'm going to read from this part of Isaiah. That's how I kind of maybe read the translation. It's just conjecture. But he reads from Isaiah 61. So again, not only do we know historically that the Jews were reading Isaiah, that Mark is referring to, but Jesus got up. And when he had an opportunity to read in the synagogue, he read from this section of Isaiah. And fascinating is this word gospel. Mark says the beginning of the gospel. And that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning. Why, Why this word gospel? Even the NIV that I read um, from to you just now, and a lot of our translations say good news. We'll kind of end with that this morning. But literally, the word is gospel. So where does he get it from? Why does, was this, we presume, I'm quite convinced that Mark is our first gospel. Um, but where, does, where do they get this word, gospel? In actual fact, um, the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament are not, they don't start with Matthew, Mark, Luke. Historically, the earliest writings are Paul's letters. So Paul starts, you know, going out there preaching the gospel. Peter, Paul, the other apostles, they're preaching the gospel. James, particularly in Jerusalem. And as they're planting churches and as this gospel is spreading, Paul starts writing letters to the churches that he's planted. He doesn't have a heart-trained card. He can't just sort of do a service in one city and then, you know, shoot back to the other one in the afternoon. The Roman roads weren't that sorted. So he writes, and guess what? 
he uses this word. And the gospel in the New Testament, outside of our gospels, I know this is like, is primarily the preaching of Jesus. It's when the gospels preached about the life and the message of Jesus. When they explained to people that Jesus came and he was crucified for us, for our sins, and he rose from the grave, they say this is the gospel. That is like the heart of the gospel message. So it's, a, it's, it's fascinating. It's just the person of Jesus and their preaching about Jesus was the heart of the gospel for them. But in a sense, the term didn't begin with Paul. Well, he wrote about it. It's our first Christian writings, is this term, the gospel. Mark says that the term begins in the New Testament with Jesus. Because at the later in chapter 1, when Jesus comes back from the wilderness, he's baptized in the Jordan, which we can read about now. It just follows on from this. And then when his public ministry begins, verse 14 of chapter 1 says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. The beginning of Jesus, Jesus' ministry, the beginning of his public ministry is characterized by the gospel. And he says, the beginning, he was proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. So the early church, the gospel for them was Jesus, his death, his resurrection. But for Jesus, Jesus actually came preaching this message. And his message, the message like that brought all this about was the time has come. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Turn, repent, and believe the gospel. Believe that God is near. Believe that God is about to act. Believe that God has been acting in all of history, but now in the life and ministry of Jesus, in the message of Jesus, the kingdom, the reign, the presence of God and the reign of God is actually like breaking in upon us now. So again, I think this is just, it's like, there's so much, all these little, you know, threads that you tie together and you go, wow, this is cool stuff. But again, hopping on the same issue, so where did Jesus get the term? The New Testament uses it, Jesus uses it, and Mark quotes Isaiah. And isn't it fascinating so the term gospel, I've shared this before, we can talk about the Romans and that, and I was going to this morning, but I'm going to leave that because I'm going to run out of time. But from a Jewish point of view, for the Jews, for Jesus, his first disciples, for the people of Israel, gospel was not a new term. 
you find this word, the gospel, in the Jewish writings, what we call our Old Testament. And guess what? The key passage, the key book, is Isaiah. And guess where the word doesn't appear? Book 1. And it begins to appear from chapter 40 on. And so for the Jews, our most important source of what did, what did Jesus mean by the Gospels? When, when Jesus said the Gospel of God is here, believe the Gospel. The Jews had heard this term. They were familiar with this term. And they were thinking, oh, you know, there's like chronic a bit of history. There's a, but Isaiah, man, did he hit the nail on the head? And so again, if you want to see Jesus with fresh eyes, you can read afresh and anew Isaiah 40 to 66. If you can just read what was promised to Israel, what God was kind of getting the juices going for his people. He was saying, this is what you need to expect. This is what I need to do in my world. And the term that keeps coming up is this term, this gospel. So your translations, and most of them, particularly in the Old Testament, say good news. And it's our best translation. This term, God, what is this? This is good news. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Turn and believe good news. And so as the Jews read Isaiah, we're now we're more and more convinced they were reading and they were praying Isaiah 40 to 66. And in actual fact, they were in desperate need of good news. The Jewish people at the time of Jesus were desperate. The prophets had been silent. It's like the heavens were like brass. Does God even hear our prayers? Does he care? Has God forsaken us as a people? For the Jewish nation to be conquered by Rome, to have the, this foreign power invading their holy land and camping out on the temple court, was, was a sign to them. It was a sign that God had forsaken them. I've said this before. It was like they were in physically, geographically, they were in God's land. I was thinking of another term. Geographically, they were there, but they were still in exile. They might as well have been in Babylon or Syria because they were under the rule of a foreign power. The major influence on their culture, on their homes, on their families, and that was not God's word, not God's world, his reign, his kingdom. It was this foreign power. And worse is that 
Israel's own, own people went along with it. The temple, the, the priesthood, the aristocracy of the day, the people who ran the priesthood, it's like, you know, you would think of it, this is not like church and state. This is all of it. You know, this is the local councillors, um, you know, the, the mayor of Gauteng. The, it's all of these people, the people that the Jews were trusting to look after their interests had sold out. They'd sold out to the prevailing power of the day. So the oppression was also from within. There was fraud and corruption, and the people that were meant to be advocating from them were just simply fleecing them. They just made things worse. It's always joke about history. I go, from an historical point of view, it's like, why do we read these old ancient manuscripts, you know? We don't understand or relate to any of this. Or maybe we do. <laughs> maybe nothing's changed. Maybe we are also sometimes feeling lost, forsaken. One of the ways to... to you know, summarize Isaiah 40 onwards is the comfort passages. So Neil was referring to it just now. Isaiah 40 starts, comfort, comfort, my people. And so even today, what does this mean to us? Well, there's lots of facets, but the facet I'm focusing on today is this understanding of Isaiah. God has come near to bring comfort to his people. The kingdom of God is about to break through in power, in miracles, in deliverance. What they needed, comfort, was the assurance of God's presence. It was the assurance that God has not left us, that God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. Comfort was what we were praying before the service, was deliverance. Comfort was these, we want to be free from these shackles of these oppressors. So Neil had a picture I don't know, I put, so what I do is I upload my sermon into the cloud and then Neil hacks it on his way to church and then we pray and then he, he refers, so as we're praying this morning, Neil refers to two passages, Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 61. <laughs> and Neil, Neil was just saying, it's like, you know, it, it feels like the, there's besetting sin and habitual sin that are often just like hooks in us. They've, you know, this is not, we started, we were just praying about burdens. You know, you want to throw off the stuff that is heavy. And, and Neil was saying, but sometimes you can't just cast it off because it's hooked into you. This is what Isaiah promises. Isaiah says that God wants to come near in such a way as to bring freedom 
break that so that we would worship Him and that we would experience His presence. This is what Isaiah promised. Freedom. Freedom to follow Yahweh. Freedom for the, the first believers, the first disciples, is freedom to follow Jesus. Freedom to worship Him. Freedom to become like Him. Isaiah 40 says, See the sovereign Lord comes with power and He rules with a mighty arm. And Mark, oh, I can't go there. It'd be another two hours. Mark just goes, you want to see power? Let me tell you. Bah, 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 bah. Demons, healing. This, that. And he just starts with this stuff. Demons in the church, in the synagogue. It was like, I have a friend who says, this will preach. And it's like Mark wrote this thing, this will preach. He's like, this is what happened. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And hear this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And a few chapters later, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel, the good news, who proclaims peace, brings good tidings, and proclaims salvation, freedom, deliverance, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then we can read Isaiah 61, but I'm going to close there. And so as we respond to the gospel, we are responding to the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus, but with this rich, nuanced understanding that Jesus has come to bring God's kingdom, His reign, His promises, our God reigns. And the expectation was we want to experience the freedom that that rain brings, the deliverance, and the comfort. Comfort my people. Because he is like the shepherd that enfolds his sheep into his arms and wants to be present to them, and he wants to care for them. And that is the promise and the offer of the gospel.